0: As we kick off this new message series this weekend, Asking for a Friend, I want to ask you a question. How do you decide what you're going to believe? Let, let's say that maybe you're here and you're, you're a skeptic and you, you've got some real doubts or questions about the Christian faith. How do you decide about the most substantial, the most significant issues in life, what you're going to to believe Now the flip side of that same coin is, maybe you're a, a longtime follower of Christ. Maybe you're a, a veteran of the faith, but for you, it doesn't always feel like just always gangbusters' mountaintop experience. So in those moments, how do you answer the doubts that creep into all of our lives from time to time? How do you decide what you? Believe
1: you may call it in this evening, but you've only lost the night. Present all your pretty feelings, may they comfort you tonight. And I'm climbing over something and I'm running through these walls and I don't even know if I believe and I don't even know if I believe and I don't even know if I believe everything you're trying to say to me my eyes and tell me I'm alive, this is never gonna go our way, if I'm gonna have to guess what's on your mind.
0: I don't know about you, but I love that we have a worship pastor who can lead us in worship the way that Derek does, and then stand up here and do Mumford and Sons. That was unbelievable. Thank y'all so much. Appreciate it. And the band, too. That's, that's just, I think you would refer to that spiritually as an embarrassment of riches. That's just unbelievable. But you know, that song originally done by Mumford and Sons, I think could also be an anthem for Lake Hills Church because ever since our very, very first service in the elementary school cafetorium back in the day, we have always wanted to be, prayed to be, worked to be a safe place to hear a dangerous message, a safe place to ask maybe philosophically, intellectually dangerous questions for the purposes of stepping into everything that God has created us for. No matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum, if, like I said, you're maybe a skeptic and you're kicking the tires, I really believe that this teaching series we kick off today is just for you. But I also know that there are a lot of us who go by the name of Christ follower who are longtime, wily veterans of the faith. And when we think about having to explain something or tell somebody, some of us kind of get a little, little wave of nausea and hope that nobody brings it up. Well, this series is for everyone, asking for a friend. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna take up some of the most difficult, some of the most challenging questions that I think all of us ask from time to time and all of us absolutely should ask. But before we get into the questions... Today we're going to talk more about the heart behind the question. That is, what is our posture as we address these questions? What should it be? What ought it be no matter where we are spiritually? If you have your Bible, I want you to look in 1 Peter chapter number 3. First Peter chapter number 3 is going to give us kind of our, our rules of engagement, if you will, throughout this series. Again, for all of us. For all of us. This is what the Bible says. Now, as I read verse 15, keep in mind, this is, of course, directed to Christ followers. But there's something here, I believe, for every one of us to to learn from and take. Look at what it says. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So that's everybody. Say Everybody. Everybody ought to be able to not only articulate our faith and, and what, it, what we actually believe, but also, the Bible says, to be able to give the reasons behind what we believe, to be able to explain the why behind the what. And that's true for everyone. That's not something that's reserved for preachers or people who go to seminary, or, or that's anyone who goes by the name. Christ follower anyone who has committed their lives to Christ been forgiven of their sins and has a relationship with God in Christ needs to be able to do that we, we ought to be prepared we ought to be we ought to be ready for this at a moment's notice but there's another part of this rule these rules of engagement look in verse 16 it says but everybody say but, but. come on now this is the 11 o'clock say it like you mean it but very good. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So Christ follower, always be ready, but make sure that you're giving the reason for the hope that you have in Christ with respect, that, that you're kind as you do it, I want to ask you a question I think I know the answer to. How many of us, have you ever seen a Christian be kind of rude or ugly as they were defending their faith? Has anybody ever seen that or maybe watched it on TV or whatever? Okay, now, has anybody in the room ever been a Christian? I'm kidding, don't raise your hand on that one. My point is, we've, we've all seen it and we, we know what that feels like. By the same token, I've seen some pretty mean-spirited atheists before, people who just kind of come out attacking, and they're incredibly condescending. I think for all of us, atheist or Christian and all points in between, there, there needs to be a humility. There, there needs to be a respect behind the conversation for each other, because when it's all said and done, we really are all fellow strugglers trying to figure it out, but I think think there's a way that we can get to the gentleness and respect very, very quickly. Think about this. Whenever you've seen somebody maybe be ugly about their belief or or what they believe in versus somebody else, I've noticed that there is always, always an element of fear driving the ugliness. They're, They're always... A little bit afraid that maybe they're going to be challenged on some point, that maybe some philosophical mooring that they have is going to get washed away with the tide of popular opinion, and so they just try to—they just what they lack in intellectual security and integrity, they try to make up for with bombast and by just being just being louder than anybody else. When instead, if you just kind of go, okay, we, we can we can absolutely have a conversation about this. People of faith, we can absolutely let our faith, let our reasons for the hope that we have stand up to intellectual, academic scrutiny that is genuine in its origin. And I think that when you realize that anytime somebody gets dogmatic or they get really, really bombastic about what they believe and how wrong you are and I can't believe you're so stupid, and it happens on both sides. There's always that, that fear attached to the dogmaticness, to the, to the bombast. And so when you realize that, then you can kind of kind of calm down. Let me, how many of you are parents? You're, you're a parent. Okay. This, this is a moment of personal transparency, that if you want to share transparency with me, I'm happy to do it. Don't feel like you have to. Are there any other parents besides your pastor who have yelled at a three-year-old? Anybody in the room? I just want you to know that not everybody who raised their hand about being a parent just raised their hand about yelling at a three-year-old. And if you didn't, we have a new support group for you called Liars Anonymous. I don't, know, I don't know who dreamed up the term terrible twos. Because in my house, two was a layup next to three. Three years old, there is something in the depravity of man that rears its ugly head. And I remember when I was a young, young dad, I, I've, you know, I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I am not losing to something that small. And, it, and it, it just went all through me. And early in my career as a father, I yelled. And I realized, with the help of my wife, Julie, Holy Spirit, some counseling, that yelling was not helping. It, it was not moving the ball down the field. And, and when I realized that I could, I could continue to draw the line where it needed to be drawn but I just didn't have to yell about it. I just had to be more creative in finding out ways to leverage my parental influence to guide the little angels in the direction God wants them to go. And I noticed that when I quit yelling, I got better as a parent. That that was my own experience. Now, I would love to tell you that I never yelled again, but I did one time. I'm just kidding. But my point is, when we yell or when we're dogmatic or when we're mean-spirited about something, we've already lost the argument. We've already lost the room. We have to have this conversation with gentleness and with respect. And because the good news is that the good news of Jesus can stand up to scrutiny. There's not one intellectual, academic, philosophical question that anyone could present to Jesus, could present before God and the gospel of of Jesus Christ that would cause God to run and hide. I, I believe with everything I have that God invites our questioning. God invites honest, open dialogue. God invites intellectual integrity. It was Jesus himself who said, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart your soul, your strength, and your mind. Bring your intellect to the conversation. Bring your mind. Don't worship your intellect, but bring your intellect, bring your mind, bring your questions to this thing called faith. And understand that we've all got things that we believe in. No one lives a life based solely on empirical evidence, Everybody has faith in something. Everybody has, has faith in, in, maybe your faith is in science and, and rational thought. And that's fine, but just be willing to admit that even science, even rational thought cannot support the weight of the entirety of human experience. There are some things in this world that transcend There are some things that transcend science. And for the record, science is wrong a lot of times. Science science gets it wrong a lot of times. In In the blip of history that is the human experience, it was about a sneeze ago that people thought the world was flat. Now, some athletes still do, but you and I both know that it's round, we live on a sphere, so we can't really, really be entirely intelligent and worship science or rational thought or logic. We can't go away, do away with those things, but we can't worship science. Science is always evolving. Science is always learning. Isn't that kind of the point is that we're always asking questions? So... One of the things that we're going to deal with in this series over the next few weeks is can faith and science coexist? How, how, do, how do we reconcile, you know, six days of creation with evolution? How, how do you get there? We're going to talk about those things. But we're going to do it from this posture of gentleness and respect. Now, <clears throat> the Bible records a, a, an event a historical event in the life of Jesus that is, I think, such an amazing encouragement. There was a father who had a son, and the Bible says that the son was dealing with an evil spirit, that there was, that there was some type of demonic oppression, some type of spiritual oppression, some type of severe mental health issue, severe, severe. Going on, and the father in an act of desperation brings his son to Jesus one day. And there's this exchange between Jesus and the Father that the Bible records in Mark chapter number nine. Mark 9 is an incredible place for us to begin this conversation today about the posture of our questions. Look at what Jesus said in Mark 9, verse 21, and then the verses following. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the Father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the Spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Verse 23, I love this. Jesus says, what do you mean, if I can? That's, that's great. That's, his voice inflected like that in the original Aramaic. What do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes And the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Is that great that that's in the Bible? I wonder, are are there any followers of Christ in the room who you believe, and yet you still need help overcoming unbelief at some point in your life? I'm, I'm raising my hand. Three of you, thank you so much for your honesty. Left me hanging there. I do believe, but... Help me overcome my unbelief. Because the reality is we, we all deal with doubt. We, we, all have, we all have things that we believe, that, that we, we say we know, and, and we believe them. But it takes faith to get all the way there. It, it's, not a, it's not a foregone conclusion or an established fact that supports what we're saying. Let me me see if I can explain this. So this morning, I stand before you as half a pastor. My wife, Julie, is out of town. She's helping our son, Joe, get set up in his first post-college apartment. He's uh, working at a a great church in Las Vegas. Our good friends, Judd Wilhite and his wife, Lori, there, they pastor that church. And Joe is interning there living in Las Vegas, going to seminary. I wish you could see the faces of people when I tell them my son is going to seminary in Las Vegas. <laughs> but that's true. Julie is out of town helping him get set up. We've been calling and FaceTiming all weekend long. It's been, they're having a great time, and it's, it's, Joe's exactly where God wants him to be, and I'm happy for him. Now, I believe Julie's coming home tomorrow She's told me that she has a flight booked, and she's coming home tomorrow. I don't know that she's coming home. I have faith that she's coming home, and and, and I I just don't see Julie waking up tomorrow morning in Vegas and going, you know what, I just like Vegas better than Mac, I just, I just want to go see some shows. I've heard about, you know, some things out here that don't happen back home, and I'm, I'm going to just, Vegas is now home. Color me there. I don't believe that's going to happen, but I'm telling you right here on Sunday morning, I don't know that it won't. Now, I have faith that it won't because of 28 years of this woman's track record. Pretty much when Julie tells me she's going to do something, she does it. And so my faith that she's coming home is based in the fact of her track record. I I can see where she's done what she says she would do. By the same token, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have faith that he is who he claimed he was, the Son of God. We have faith That when he died on the cross, which is beyond any kind of question historically, but our faith says that on the third day he rose from the grave. Our faith says that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that when he rose from the dead, he did so with the offer of a new life, of forgiveness of every single sin you've ever committed, every single sin I've ever committed. And we have faith in that that is based on the fact of the empty tomb. If you want to look at all of the facts and all of the evidence that point to the reliability of Scripture, the trustworthiness of God, all of those things go back to the empty tomb. The grave of Jesus is the anchoring fact for our faith. The Apostle Paul said, if he didn't rise from the dead, we're to be pitied amongst all people but the fact of the empty tomb. Now, certainly you can argue, and and people have for years that, for centuries and millennia, that there was some kind of an elaborate ruse that the disciples pulled off and they they absconded with his body and got it out of there, and Roman soldiers weren't able to track them down. I want you to just kind of play that out for a second. We're talking about a bunch of fishermen and accountants. And they were able to hoodwink and con the greatest military force on the planet. And then, after they performed that con, they all went to their deaths attesting to the fact that he had risen from the grave. Now, I'm gonna just tell you this. If I'm part of a big scam, which I'm not, but if I were part of a big scam... The second, somebody said, it will cost you your life, I'm out. Just kidding. J.K. Lawson. It was all a big joke. But all of Jesus' closest followers, except Judas, obviously, were martyred for their faith in the fact of the resurrection. So, I'm just going to suggest to you that logic would indicate they believed it. They believed that he rose from the dead and were willing to die for it. That is a faith worth defending. That is a faith worth owning and appropriating and doing the homework for. And I want to just, in the time that we've got left, I want to mention to you three things to kind of guide this series, to guide as we go through this series together. Number one, train your heart and mind for questions. Train your heart and your mind for questions. If you are a follower of Christ, be ready for people to ask you. Do the homework. Train your mind, train your heart, and think these things through. Don't don't just sit there and go, "Uh, I don't know, you want some more coffee? Don't. Do the homework. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Train your mind for these things. Here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3. It's interesting that when God created humanity and gave Us everything that we needed for life. He he put us in charge of his creation. He he gave us everything that we needed. And we still chose to walk away from it. The the Bible refers to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2, everything is golden. I mean golden. Adam and Eve, husband and wife, they've never had a fight. Not, Not one time has Adam sat on the couch watching football and said, "Uh uh-huh, and not known what Eve asked him. Not one time has Eve walked into the room and said, does this make me look fat? (laughs) Not one time have they been selfish. And then in Genesis chapter three, the Bible records the introduction of sin. The, The Bible records what happens when when Eve and then Adam were were tempted by Satan. And in Genesis 3, the Bible shows us just how skilled Satan, our adversary, is at temptation. He doesn't doesn't walk in, you know, in in a tuxedo, in a big red pitchfork. He shows up in the form of a serpent He doesn't show up and say, God's a liar. You should reject him. He just just starts by asking a question. Here's here's how the Bible records it. It says in Genesis 3-1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Just, Just a very, very skilled question asker. Did God really tell you? Because the reality is God had not said that. But, but Eve was not prepared for the question. Now, let's just make sure that we remember Adam was absolutely AWOL He was nowhere to be found. Eve is sitting here doing mortal combat for humanity's future by herself. That's a whole other sermon series, but it's a fact. Because what God had actually said is, you have dominion over all of creation. You can eat and partake of any plant of the ground except the one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only thing that is off limits. This is the original forbidden fruit. Those of us who are parents, we we know about forbidden fruit. You tell your child, don't do this, this is what they want to do. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. And the Bible says that Eve looked at the fruit and it looked good to her. She She was afraid that, that there was more to life than God was letting her in on. This is also the first case of FOMO. <laughs> she, she had this, this hyperactive fear of missing out. And, and it all started when Satan just planted that seed with a question. And she wasn't ready to answer it. She, she had forgotten what it was that God had said, she forgot the word of God. See, we have to train our minds, we have to train our hearts to be ready for these questions, to be able to to address them in in a way that is intellectually sound, that is solid, and is kind. People who genuinely asked Jesus questions, he really didn't have a problem with. He, He could answer them clearly, Honestly, forthrightly, but it was the religious folks who thought they had it all figured out. Those were the ones that, that Jesus had problems with. So, so train your mind. Second Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. Say all. all. All Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. That means that God inspired. In the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, it is Theonustos. The Spirit of God inspired human beings, imperfect people like you and me, to write down his word. And as such, he supernaturally protected the communication of it and the translation of it because he's God. He's able to use imperfect people like you and me to communicate a perfect message. And because it was God-breathed, all Scripture is useful for teaching and training, rebuking and correcting But we've got to train our minds. We've got to get into this word. That's why when when the semesters kick off around here, man, that's the time to dive in. Get yourself in a a Bible study, men's or a women's. Maybe it's Fearless Mom. Maybe it's a a connect group. Whatever it is, that's where we get this training in addition to what we do together on Sunday mornings. They, They work in concert together in community with each other. We train our minds, we train our hearts. Now, I know that all scripture coming from God is a faith proposition. We're gonna talk about that next weekend. But for right now, let's just know that we're we're training our minds and our hearts. Number two, test the roots of your questions. Test the roots of your questions. What this means is to be honest, be honest with yourself, be honest with the people around you about the why behind your question. If you're asking a question, that's fine. That's great. As we've said, the the gospel of Jesus Christ can absolutely withstand your intellectual rigor, I promise. So I think God looks at you, he looks at me, and he says with, with a smile in his heart and grace on his lips... Bring it. You want, to, you want to question intellectually, philosophically? Let's dance. But, but test the roots of your questions. I love what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. That right there is words to live by. That, that's a good word for marriage. But right here, we're talking about spiritual theological points. Don't have anything to do with stupid quarrels. There, there's some. Don't get bogged down in how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. I mean, whatever. That's fine. We'll have a cup of espresso, wear a turtleneck, and we'll talk about it. But, but be honest about why you're asking the questions, because the reality is a lot, not all. But a lot of questions get asked as a smokescreen, as an attempt to keep God at arm's length, as as an attempt to avoid bowing the knee to God. A lot of people ask questions that they've heard from other people, and they think, oh, that sounded really smart. I'm going to use that. But they haven't done the homework on it. But they're just doing that so that they don't have to submit to God. So be honest. Test the roots of your thoughts. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter four. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Gentiles meaning pagans in this case. For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. Here's what God says. If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. But if, if you're trying to reject God, if you're trying to keep God at arm's length, he'll let you. He, he will give you the desires of your heart, and the desi- if the desires of your heart are to keep him at arm's length, he'll let you go. So, man, test those thoughts. Make sure that you're being honest with yourself and with other people, that you're being honest with God. Test those thoughts. And don't be like the pagans who choose, they choose to darken their minds because of the hardness of their hearts. Again, because they don't, want to, they don't want to submit to the God who loves them unconditionally and chose to die for them. But that idea, that concept is so, so repulsive to them, they run in the other direction that they run in the other direction and their minds are full of darkness. Last thing, if you've been around here, you probably know where this is going. Trust Jesus with your thoughts. When it's all said and done, go to Jesus. When, when all of the arguing, all of the debating, all of the reading, all of the inquiry is completed, go to Jesus. Trust Jesus with your thoughts because that's the bottom line. He is the bottom line. It's not about agreeing with a certain set of principles and rules. It's about a relationship with Jesus himself. And he's told us that we can trust him. You know, I told you earlier that I trust, I believe that Julie's coming home tomorrow. Been a long time. But I trust that because of what she's done to this point. When the Bible says that you trust Jesus, that means that you decide, you choose to believe that he is who he says he is that you choose to believe that he's the son of the living God and he died on a cross for you. He died for me. He died the death of a sinner having lived a sinless life. Because on that cross, he became my sin. He became your sin. And when that happened, he paid the penalty that was rightly mine, that is rightly yours. And he died. And not only did he die physically, but he died alienated and separated from God the Father. Because of our sin. But then because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he got up on the third day. He got up out of the grave with the promise of new life for anyone who would choose to believe in him. Somebody who would decide based upon the evidence and a willing heart that they would believe that he is exactly who he claimed to be. And that he did exactly what he offered to do. If you're here today and you've never taken hold of that, you've never made that choice to believe, to follow Jesus. In just a second, as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. Just right where you're sitting to begin that relationship with Christ that lasts forever. by beginning that in a a prayer. It's it's a once in a lifetime prayer that begins a process, begins a relationship. I wanna ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. If you wanna begin that relationship, then we as a church invite you to pray just right where you're sitting, Silently say to God something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I know that I need forgiveness. I need you as my Savior. And so in this moment, I confess my sin, all of it, in order to claim to receive the free gift of your forgiveness all of it Jesus I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the grave for me and starting right here right now I will follow you from this moment forward And Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. Just very briefly. But if that was your prayer, then as a a family with you, we, we want to help with what's next because. Like I said, this is just the beginning. If that was your prayer, I'm gonna ask you right now, as our heads are bowed, if you would just take out the program that you got when you came in and begin filling out that connect card inside the program. Just right now, just quietly, you can start contact information, et cetera, et cetera. You'll notice right underneath the contact information, there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. And then once you've finished that card, you can tear it off along the perforation there at the fold in the center of the program and just take that. And if you want to, you can fold it up in two. And before we leave in just a moment, I want to ask you to please hand that card to one of our ushers, one of our hosts. I've got the blue LHC logo shirt on so that as a church, we can come alongside and, help at whatever pace works for you. Also, if you would, just just very quickly as our heads are bowed for another moment, if you just prayed to enter that relationship with Christ, would you just raise your hand up high over your head for a second? Just, Just raise your hand and hold it up over your head. Your hand in the air just kind of stamps this moment both in your life but also in the life of this church because this moment in your life is why we exist and so as a family we honor that and celebrate you can go ahead and put your hands down but we're going to put our hands together and tell you welcome home welcome home to the family